Welcome all. You're listening to the MLTI podcast, Teaching with Tech. We are your hosts, the MLTI ambassador team at the Maine Department of Education. We are here to support Maine educators by building a network focused on authentic voices, experiences, and technology integration. Hello and welcome to the MLTI podcast, Teaching with Tech. My name is Joshua Schmidt, and I am a second-year ambassador with the MLTI team here at the Maine Department of Education. This month, we are returning to the topic of artificial intelligence and its role in the classroom. Last season, we published two episodes with the major goal of defining artificial intelligence, both what it is and what it isn't. We explored AI as a thought partner for educators, as a tool to save time, but also as a way to increase productivity or creativity. This season, we wanted to explore the ways that artificial intelligence has evolved over the last year. While the technology consistently grows in power and flexibility, it makes conversations around proper use and the best methods of implementation even more vital. So today, we will hear from MLTI's own Nicole Kayrod, who interviews former Ambassador Kate Meyer, who is an English teacher at Mount Desert Island High School. We will also hear from a first-year ambassador, Donna Netzer, who interviews Tim Reynolds, the director of the Washington County Consortium, which recently did a professional development paired with the MLTI ambassador team centered around AI. That being said, if you're an educator in Maine who's wondering how the MLTI or Learning Through Technology teams can support you or your school, especially around AI guidance and integration, please contact us at doe-ltt at maine.gov. We're here today with Kate Meyer. She's a former MLTI ambassador. And Kate, why don't you take a second just to tell us where you are teaching and what you're doing this year? I am teaching at Mount Desert Island High School, where I teach um, honors junior English, a graphic novels course, and design thinking. Awesome. So the last time that we talked was probably a little less than a year ago about AI. And I'm wondering how you think that it changed since that episode that we aired. (laughs) I think when we first started talking about AI, especially with educators, there was a lot of fear around how AI was going to basically destroy education as we know it, right? And that, of course, brings anxiety right to the table. So I feel like last year when it was still very new, we weren't really sure what to do with it. And now we've had about a year of chat GPT kind of being in our collective consciousness. And we've been able to think about the implications for what that's going to look like in education. And I'm starting to see that fear dissipate a little bit. And people are starting to look into the future, really, in terms of how it's going to change education. And some of that fear is receding. So it's not that it's going to destroy everything. It's really, how is it going to change? And then how do we change with it so that we are really preparing students um, using tools that they will be encountering? Um, And AI is really going to be one of those tools. I think when this first came out, it was 
kind of like, oh, this is just going to be something like it's going to go away. But I think there's that realization, like it's not going away. We have to address it. We have to be aware. And so I think people have gone from that fear stage to more like curious. Um, And then I think also too, is like, as soon as teachers see what it can do for them there, it's almost like relief because it's, it's that sustainability piece. It's, you know, our jobs as teachers are so much right now. And so to take a little bit off the plate is, is super important. What are you doing in your classroom with AI? When I first started talking with my students in September about AI, they had heard of ChatGPT, but none of them had logged into it. So none of them had an account. It wasn't anything that they had experimented with. It wasn't really on their radar. What they knew about AI was the AI that's embedded in Snapchat. And so when I said ChatGPT and AI, they pulled out the phones and said, look, we have it here in Snapchat. And and their response to that was, it's really lame. And they held out their phones and showed me this AI bot that was built into a program, an app that they are already really familiar with. And, and they were really just not all that interested in it. So when I started talking about chat GPT, they were also really not that interested in it because they had that view of, you know, well, here, here's what it is. It's just this lame chat bot. Um, So I started by talking about, here's what ChatGPT is, and I created a chart for them. We're going to use it together as a tool, and here are some ethical ways we can use it, and here are some ways that I think are probably unethical uses of AI in education. And so let's talk about that. And when I showed them the chart, and it had ideas like, you can use it, you can talk to it about the historical context of a novel that you're reading, or you can use it to help you study in these ways, or you can use it to generate research ideas. They were really blown away. They hadn't thought about how to use that for their own benefit. They were pretty surprised um, that it could be used as a legitimate tool. Were you surprised that they didn't know a lot about it? I was shocked because I had been an ambassador for the previous two years, right? So I was out of the classroom. So, so everything that I was reading about AI was, you know, everybody is using it for cheating and all they're doing is copy and pasting essays. And so I thought my students <laughs> would have at the very least like logged in and checked it out, but, but they hadn't. And so again, that goes back to that fear. It's really not going to ruin education. Well, and I- I think those things that are in the newspaper are the one or two incidences that that are happening at a few different schools. And it's because kids haven't been taught how to use it. If we don't address it and we don't say this is how to use it, then they're not going to use it. Correct. I, I totally agree. And and that's part of what's happened in my classroom is that we have started to really use it as a tool. So when we are working on a paragraph and talking about um, sentence variety, I have the students put their paragraphs into chat GPT and ask for feedback on sentence variety. So what they um, are seeing are, are its strengths and limitations as a tool. So when my students use AI to support their work. I include a question and a reflection that we do at the end of each assessment about how they used AI. So did you use AI and how did it go and what did you do with it? And include the link from your chat GPT chat so that I can take a peek at what it is that you're doing. That's really great. And their reflections um, are really um, pretty neutral about it. So I'm getting reflections that say like, yeah, it does give some good feedback and it's nice to have this tool to be able to 
actually give me feedback or to generate ideas with me. Um, one student said, especially when um, I can't necessarily talk to my teacher like at, you know, 1.15 a.m. And I was like, yes, that is a perfect use of that, right? So they see the benefit of that. But it's also opened up a really interesting conversation about the power that they have in evaluating feedback. And that's feedback from, from AI, that's feedback from me, that's feedback from their parents. So when you get feedback on your work, what do you do with it next? And so I was able to really show them that they had power in that evaluation through chat GPT, which then opened up the door into, okay, but what about when I give you feedback? Do you have that same power? Well, of course the answer is yes, but, but I think they hadn't really thought about it that way before. And they're like, oh, so we could take your feedback or not. And I was like, yeah, yes. So being able to have that relationship almost with AI, I think helps apply it to different situations. So it's just become a really big learning opportunity for all of us in using it that way. Yeah, it sounds like it takes like the emotion out of it. Like when I don't take your feedback, I'm a little nervous about like, what's she going to think? But if it's just a robot, that's different. And so that makes a lot of sense. I think about the conversation about bias and what a hard conversation that is to have with students. I'll tell you an interesting thing that came up. We were actually working on podcast in class. And so the students were coming up with their the title of their podcast. And so I often say to them when they're brainstorming or doing something that I think is a great use case for AI, I often say to them, hey, you could go on to chat GPT and have that conversation. Like, what should you name this? So one of my podcasting groups decided to open up chat GPT and see what it could offer. And so they described themselves. It was, you know, three female students and they did a little description of who they were and what their podcast was going to be about. And all of the results that came back from chat GPT were titles like girl power and makeup and glitter. I mean, it was really biased and they were horrified that they were like, why does this happen? Like, just because I'm female, everything is coming back to me that it's like girl power and makeup. And so we, we then had that conversation about how bias happens in AI, where it's getting its information and how it is learning and, and what that really is revealing about what it is that that's out there where it's getting its information. It was just, it was a fascinating conversation that really just happened to come up really organically. That was really fun to have with them. I love how it was just natural because kids are curious and sometimes they're not able to express that. But all of a sudden, here it is right in front of you. You can't ignore it. And now we can have these conversations about it. Probably digital citizenship is going to be a piece that is another place where kids are really starting to think about, like, what am I putting into this machine, especially if we're teaching them about it? And how do I put it in? And what's out there that I have to be more wary of in the world of AI? And so what a another opportunity where like digital citizenship, we know we want to be teaching it. And sometimes it feels like one more thing. So is this a place where it can just be embedded naturally? And that's a huge piece of it that I didn't realize I was doing actually until my students kind of made fun of me one day about it. Because as we were starting to use chat GPT, I always say, don't put in any identifying information. Be very careful about what you're putting in. And I didn't have full on digital citizenship lesson plans. Again, it was just something that was coming up naturally in conversations. Here are the ways that we should be thinking about protecting our privacy as we go. I didn't realize I had said it so much until we got to a point, again, where we were using chat GPT. And I remember what we were doing with it at this point. But one of them turned to me and said, oh, I know what we're doing. We're doing image generation on Canva, right? So they immediately wanted to create images of themselves. 
great. I think that's a great place to start. So they were describing themselves. And then they said, how about they just put in my social security number? And then they turned and looked at me like <laughs> to see what I was going to say. And I was like, you guys, but they, they understood, right? They had heard the message enough for me to understand that we really do want to be protecting our data. And, you know, they were teasing me. What if I put in my home address? And it, and it's kind of great because they know all the things they shouldn't be putting into it um, as they were kind of making fun of the fact that I guess I've said it a lot. <laughs> it's like they're applying it, right? Like they're applying it to being humorous. That's right. That so much. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, I know personally that you've developed some pol policy and stuff in your classroom. Do you see that kind of stretching out across other schools and things like that? Are the conversations starting to happen? I am starting to see the conversations happen because teachers do understand that there are some negative implications with this tool. My students could be using it to cheat. And so while it is really important, I think, to have these open conversations and to be fully transparent about our use of it, we also need to have some kind of guidelines and guardrails in place so that we don't purposefully or accidentally misuse it. So my school does not yet have a have a school-wide policy, but like you said, I have one in my classroom and it really, again, it centers on honesty and communication and transparency. So we all communicate with each other about how and when we are using it. And also the idea that with all of that sharing about how we're using AI, if one of us makes a mistake with it, then we can just be honest about it. So sometimes I will say, hey, we could use chat GPT for, for this. Do you think that's an ethical use of it? If, if I open up my chat GPT right now and pop this prompt in, do you all think that's ethical? And and that just creates a culture of it's just a tool. You know, it's its worst use case is having it write your essay for you. It, it does a really lame job at that, but it does some other great stuff. And let's just talk about what we're doing with it. Before we close, I'm going to kind of ask a little fun question. Do you have any tools that you've discovered? I know it sounds like you use ChatGPT a lot in your classroom that you would want to say, hey, check this out because it's really neat. So ChatGPT, I feel like is my OG thought partner and I often go there, but when I need something really quickly for my classroom, I go right to Magic School AI or to EduAid AI. They both use the same technology that ChatGPT uses, but it's very focused for educators. So you can go in and get something that is really narrow in scope very quickly. For example, this morning, I just needed some discussion questions on a poem that I would like to introduce to my students. So I went right to Magic School and EduAid and went right to their discussion question building tool and was able to put in my subject, put in the theme of what I wanted them to talk about, and then got back a handful of questions that I could sort through and decide what would work best for my students. I am a massive fan of Canva and I have really enjoyed using Canva's AI tools with my students. So in my graphic novels class, character creation using Canva's AI tools has been really fun. Um, I had students using it to design their podcast covers and so they could really create covers that reflected what it was exactly that they wanted to reflect about their podcast episodes. So with students, I'm really leaning into Canva and their AI image creation tools. They have, they have a really 
solid privacy policy in place. They have a really solid ethical use of art. They pay their artists for the art that the AI then draws from. And that's really important to me. It's really important to my students. Awesome. I found one the other day that I'll share real quick. It's called Suno. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. S-U-N-O dot A-I. And some of the questions that I get often is with Magic School AI, you can generate a song. So you can do a lyrics based on like happy birthday or you could do it on Beyonce, but you don't have the music with it. So Suno, if I'm pronouncing that right, will produce both the lyrics and the song and it will do it in the genre that you choose. It's still in beta, but it's pretty cool. I had probably too much fun playing with it. It's really fun to see how the tools are evolving because again, you know, this time last year, we really just had chat GPT, right? And and now we've got all these different tools to help us create and innovate and, and just really explore. So that's really great. Well, thank you for talking to me today. And I can't wait to hear about more things that you do with your students. Thank you for having me. Well, good morning. My name is Tim Reynolds. I am the director of the Washington County Consortium in Washington County. I represent all the schools. I actually work for the Superintendents Association. And the role of the director in the consortium is to bring professional development into our county, to our schools, to all of our educators. I've been on the site on the job since August 1st. And I'm quite surprised of how far we've come along just in that short period of time. It, it appears that there, there's a lot of professional development and, and individual expertise that are excited about coming into this county. Even before COVID, we didn't bring a lot of PD people in. Funding is always a, a reason, one of the reasons for that. But post-COVID, it's time to get back to that. And it's important to educate our educators so they can do a great job in the classroom. Exactly. And so you and I have worked through starting this Lunch and Learn series that began yes. in November. And the topic was AI. And so we're very, very excited to do AI professional development. We're doing tons of it all the time. What were your thoughts going into the training before you had that training about AI and education? Yeah, I was an administrator for 22 out of my 33 years and and know very well that sometimes when a topic like AI comes up, you kind of put your hands up and say, well, let's hold on a second because students are always ahead of the educators when it comes to technology. And some students have been using AI for a while now and teachers and, and administrators haven't really had any professional development to get them to that place where students are. So I'm really excited about being able to bring this topic to our administrators and teachers as well. But, you know, if you don't educate the administrators first, this is my opinion, I'm afraid it won't get the backing. If you just go in and just give it to the teachers, the principals being the, the building leaders, they have to have their hand in that arena as well. So just really excited about the opportunity for our administrators to learn about AI. The last session that we had was excellent. We had quite a number of people that zoomed in and, and saw the presentation. I had a leadership team meeting just a couple of days after that with the Washington County leadership team made up of 
principals and guidance counselors and teachers and superintendents. And they spoke very highly about that AI presentation. So we're excited to do more. That is awesome. So one thing I found very interesting is I was able to actually kind of witness a shift in thinking during that presentation. You described personally afterwards, you wrote to me and said that was very eye-opening. So can you tell me what was so eye-opening to you during that presentation? The one piece that has stuck with me is, is how AI can save educators time in their job. The two or three bits of presentation that were given to us were probably unknown to most, if not all, the group. And chat GPT, for example, how helpful that can be to administrators is amazing. Well, I want to get that information out there. It's about saving time. It's about using an educator's time wisely. And it's just an exciting part of education now that can make education better. I really loved one of the things that stuck out to me is they were, Nicole was asking for prompts. And just as most people do, your first prompt was, was the forecast? Because that's what we ask our home AIs, right? Like our Google cool. Homes and our Alexas. But then once you realized what it could do, you had a brilliant prompt asking for if a student got hurt on the playground and we needed to send a letter home to parents, can you give me that draft so we can start that? And that's the time saver right there is it can start these arduous tasks for us and it can provide a backbone mm. that then we can build on, which is, I thought was really great. When you got those responses from, I think it was ChatGPT that she used, what was your impression of the letter that you got back? Do you remember that prompt and what you got back? Yeah, it was pretty precise, pretty accurate and very usable. You know, but as, a, as an administrator, I, I know that I would take that letter and I would fine tune it. I wouldn't just accept it necessarily, but I would be able to fine tune that. So it felt like it was coming from my school. And then I would be able to get that letter out. So it would have saved me probably an hour of time, maybe a little bit more than that. Exactly. They talk about 80% of the time being... AI helping you gather the information and process it. And then 20% of the time is adding your own spin on it, adding your tone, making sure it's from you. It's not just AI generated, but they, they don't give you the thoughts, but they collaborate the information in a way that then makes you be able to work more efficiently, which I think is going to be a game changer. And they allow you to fine tune the letter itself, for example, in that case, the letter to the parent. If you didn't like the way that that was written or the length of it, you can ask it to sort of condense it. You can ask it to be less formal. You can ask it to, sure. yes, be shorter. You can, there's just, there's so many pieces that it will do, but it will, it will process fast for you and get you that really good start. And then you just kind of fine tune it, which is awesome. At the high uh, school level. It's not uncommon for an educator to have to write 20 to 30 recommendation letters a year. And I see that as being incredibly helpful because you would obviously personalize it, but it gives great thought. So you can, you can really put some good feedback into that letter. So I think it's great. I think teachers are going to love it.
The thing that really gets me is they have a lot of tools now for writing IEP goals. Oh. You can put in information about a student's diagnosis and accommodations, and it comes out with those. Again, you would want to modify it to make it sound the way it's supposed to and sure. make sure it works well. But how much time does that save to even just think of the initial statements and then just edit afterwards? Like right. that's going to be so big in this. So since then, you've asked to have kind of a deeper dive, do a half day event or even more on AI. What more are you looking forward to providing for the people in Washington County through this? Well, the, the, the topic of saving time, anything to do with the topic of saving time, if that's AI, then that's fine. I think the deeper dive would be to get more educators into the loop, bring them into the loop so they understand that this is not a a negative thing. I, I'm not in the classroom anymore, but I can almost hear teachers and administrators putting their hands up saying, I don't know about this AI, this AI stuff, you know, because the kids are probably not using it always in a positive manner. I've had some stories told to me in the last couple of months about AI in the hands of students and it, and it hasn't gone well. So getting them to be comfortable with it is huge. And that will take time. A half day would be very helpful. Staff meetings at schools would be very helpful. And one thing, too, that we're starting to lean into is teaching students what AI can do and can't do. And so I was in Lubeck and I taught their students about the fact that it can only pull the information it has. And so we did kind of a little tool. on It's kind of like using a calculator. If I type in the wrong numbers, it's going to give me the wrong answer Yep. because it can't think for you and understand it. It can only pull from what it has for information. And so there's biases and there's so students need to understand that, too, because you're right. They're going to jump on this bandwagon and think mm. it can do my homework for me That's right. when it's not that it's a homework helper, but it's not a homework doer. Right. And so the last question I want to ask you, Tim, was how do you feel that the MLTI ambassadors in this learning through technology team can help support Washington County teachers or just teachers in Maine in general? Yeah, I think you're already doing it. I am very much grateful and very appreciative of how closely you and I have been able to communicate and work together, getting into schools where it's appropriate, meeting with the larger group of educators, as I mentioned in the beginning, versus one or two coming to an event. Anytime you can get into a school, that's going to be a win-win. I think both the MLTI and the educators. I think just continuing to educate me, continuing to educate the leadership team, providing resources. I really think that as more and more people learn about what MLTI and AI can do for a school, I think we're going to find people are going to be signing up left and right for that. And I am finding that Washington County is very hungry for this, very uh, which is awesome. They are ready and willing to have people come and do things regionally and have things close to home and stay up with what's going on. And so the AI journey is just beginning. And so if people are jumping on right now, you're not, they're not too late. We just want right. to make sure the journey's starting now. Exactly. Thank you, Tim, so, so much. Is there anything else that you wanted to give us feedback for AI or MLTI ambassadors in general? 
I would just please pass on my appreciation for, for your, your willingness and your team's willingness to let you work closely with with me in this position as the consortium director. I think we're going to we're going to do some great things throughout this year. Thank you to Tim and Donna for that fantastic interview. I feel like we've covered a huge amount of material in this episode, and this episode could keep going on forever. But I really want to bring us back to one specific idea, which is keeping the human in AI. And this concept of keeping the human in AI is something that I first learned from one of my coworkers here on the MLTI ambassador team. So I think it makes way too much sense to not bring back in Nicole K-Rod to talk to us exactly about what does that phrase mean and why is it important? Hey, Josh. So keeping the human in the loop for me means a couple things. So the first one is really that collaboration back and forth with the AI. So whether it's you're taking the output and you're thinking about, you know, what is the bias? Are there facts that I need to check? And making sure that those things are you and it's you're involved. Whereas sometimes people think that the AI is one and done and it should never be that. Um, it should always be a collaboration between you and the machine. And sometimes it's that you take the output and you're kind of editing it for you. But sometimes it's going back and forth and asking the machine questions and getting kind of the information that you want. And then the second part of that is really thinking about when and how you should use AI. Should it be used when you're, you know, emailing someone about something that is needs to be sincere? You need to decide that when and how to use it. Yeah, and I think that through our conversations we've had over the last year, it's really helped me keep perspective of when I start using an AI tool, I start with that focus of what is my job here and how am I going to use the AI to help me do that job faster or better or more creatively? One of my most exciting projects right now is using AI-based chatbots to learn coding or to teach coding to students who are learning it themselves. And what I think has been fascinating about this process is that when you are doing prompts with AI-based coding, you have to be just as specific and intentional as you would if you are creating a long-form prompt, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, except that you break those prompts up into more discrete steps. Rather than tell the program exactly what every step of the program needs to be, you use some of those computational thinking skills to focus on one step at a time. And then it come, I get the output, and I have to think about what the next question would be or what the next ask would be, and I work through it. But I also have to go in and manipulate that code by hand, which I think is something that is so important to remember that the program is not going to give you a perfect result, but it does allow you to get a good solid starting point, And it makes me think of the code in a different way that sometimes helps me get to a good end product. I love that. Josh, I'm not a coder. So for me to, to go in and be able to do that, I really just couldn't. I would need some knowledge. Um, beforehand. So I I think one of the pieces about keeping the human in the loop is, is giving teachers permission that it's okay to put AI aside. Don't 
AI just to AI and say, we're not going to use it for this. We're going to learn the base knowledge of in the information that's needed. And then once we have that base knowledge, then we're going to come back to the AI and we're going to apply our knowledge and see, you know, if I plug this code in, what's going to happen and how can I fix it? Because I know that knowledge. And like I said, because I'm not a coder, if I put, you know, I could very easily put into to chat GPT, make me a game that does X, Y, and Z, but I would have no clue that it was right or wrong or even how to fix it. So I think it's important that it's okay that we set aside that, um, you know, that piece where, where we have to use AI. The other example that I have as far as keeping the human in the loop is with emotion. So um, I touched briefly on this before, but really thinking about how we're using it. So if I'm writing an email that needs to be really sincere, if I just pop in my prompt to chat GPT and have it write it and send it, and then someone's going to be like, oh, that's AI, and then send me something back that's AI. And then all of a sudden, we're just going back and forth with the machine. So it's really important to keep the human in loop when you're thinking about, you know, the type of things that you're using it for. I love how you as like the AI expert are willing to point out that AI doesn't need to be used on every tool and understanding that some of these activities can be best done purely on your own, but AI can be helpful down the road as well. So I've actually been putting in a lot of energy recently and learning a little bit more about audio editing for this podcast and other projects as well. And I've been using different audio-based editing tools that incorporate AI to help me do it. But when I use the AI strictly and I drop the audio in exactly, the result that I get very clearly sounds like AI cleaned it up. It's almost like it turned it into a robotic answer. The most effective use of AI has been a back and forth process. I do one step of AI, then I drop it back into an editing tool and do some by hand. But then there's something that I'm not able to solve on my own, so I drop it back into an an AI editing tool, and then I put it back in and work on it by hand. And when I keep that process going back and forth, the end result is usually very high quality, but it also sounds like a human did it. And I think that that's a really important process here about the end result still needs to sound like you and it needs to be your product and your creativity at the end of the day. What about you, Nicole? What's a a good solid example for us to close today's episode on? Well, and Josh, real quick, briefly, I think that, you know, you bring up a good point that because we're human, like, I don't want to listen to a podcast that's you know, made by robots or sounds robotic. I want, I want it to be real. I want to hear, you know, our podcast or someone else's. It doesn't matter whose it is, but I want to hear those like authentic voices and, and even sometimes those mistakes and the mess ups. Um, those are, those are all important as, as me as a human being. I want to hear that. Another example that I have as uh, the human in the loop is really, again, with the emotion. So before I talked about like maybe, making a choice to use less of or not of if there's emotion involved. This is a case where maybe um, it would help if there's a lot of emotion. So I I had uh, someone tell me that they had to write a eulogy for their brother and they just couldn't. They sat around for, you know, a couple of weeks and they just could not write this. And then finally they said, well, I think, you know, I'll pop it into ChatGPT and see 
what that says. And I'm sure the prompt was something like, you know, write a eulogy for my brother who, you know, X, Y, Z. And then, um, you know, they didn't end up using bits and pieces of it, but using a lot of it. But it was a place where it could just take the emotion right out of it and say, okay, I can do this. I can start that. Um, And so sometimes when that emotion is so great and we can't kind of separate, um, that's a place, a great place. So AI is used as a tool and and we need to teach our kids how to use it as a tool. It's, It's a tool that we can use to enhance us, to enhance our creativity and our innovation. Well, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate your time with your interview with Kate earlier in this episode, but also joining me in this segment about how can we keep that human in AI. We're going to talk a lot more in our next episode about specific tools, but I think it is valuable to consider no matter the tool that you're using, how can you make sure that product sounds authentic, sounds like you, is something that you would genuinely make, but the AI is helping you speed it up be more creative, or be more productive. So, Nicole, thank you again, and we will talk to you soon. Thank you to everyone who joined me in today's episode. Nicole Kayrod, Donna Netzer, Kate Meyer, and Tim Reynolds also wanted to give a huge shout-out to our guru behind the scenes, Tracy Williamson. Join us next week as we continue exploring artificial intelligence and its role in the classroom. We will also learn more about an upcoming event called the Elevation Summit, which will be held on January 13th at South Portland High School. This event is co-sponsored by the Association of Computer Technology Educators of Maine, ACTM, and META, the Maine Educational Technology Directors Association. Amanda Fox, author of the AI Classroom, will be the featured keynote speaker, and attendees will get a complimentary copy of the book. Attendees can also be part of a book study on the AI classroom that will be co-facilitated by Amanda and the MLTI ambassadors. Spaces are limited to 150, so make sure you go to actum.org and sign up if you would like to attend. We also wanted to remind people about signups for this year's MLTI student conferences. We will be hosting two student conferences again this year, one virtual and one in person. The virtual conference will be on March 7th, and the in-person conference will be on May 23rd. You can go to our website, which is linked in the show notes, or contact the team at doe-ltt at maine.gov. I'm going to close today's episode with a question. What do you get when you cross artificial intelligence with vampires? Bites of intelligence. Class dismissed. <laughs>